This is Andreas Antonopoulos, and welcome to Unscripted, an audio-enhanced version of my most popular unscripted talks where I explore Bitcoin and open blockchains at the intersection of technology, economics, and politics. Never forget, this is about the other six billion. Caution, Unscripted is not for all audiences. Side effects may include loss of appetite due to a sudden and unexpected obsession with disruptive technology and confusion about whether you understand how money really works. Job dissatisfaction and a desire for rebellion have been reported. Entrepreneurial activity may occur upon standing. Unscripted may lower your ability to tolerate bankers and lead to contempt for all unearned authority, which could become permanent. If Unscripted gives you an irrational feeling of hope for the future of humanity, please click subscribe immediately. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> Andreas M. Antonopoulos is a technologist and serial entrepreneur who has become one of the most well-known and respected figures in Bitcoin. In Investing in Education Instead of Speculation, Andreas explains how education and training in the Bitcoin and open blockchain space can enrich your life in a sustainable way. Unlike speculating on a basket of crypto assets and tokens, investing in skills is permanent, transferable across chains, and empowering. This talk took place on June 20th, 2016 at the Blockchain Training Conference in collaboration with the Cryptocurrency Certification Consortium within the Mars Discovery District of Toronto, Canada. This series is called Unscripted for a reason. All of Andreas's talks are performed without slides or notes. You can find corrections and clarifications in the podcast description. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, this is the second time I've been here in the Mars District, and uh, it's always a pleasure Toronto and Canada in general is a hot spot of activity in this space. And looking around this room, one thing that really strikes me is how diverse this audience is, in every sense of the word. Uh, so many people from so many different backgrounds uh, gathered here to talk about this incredible technology. And I do want to talk about technology. When I first got into this space and I started talking about Bitcoin, one of the common misconceptions when I spoke to a room full of people was that they expected some kind of sales pitch. They expected that, like selling a timeshare for a holiday resort or a get-rich-quick scheme, I was there to recommend investment in this newfangled currency, in this stock, this Bitcoin thing, a get-rich-quick scheme. And Bitcoin isn't a get-rich-quick scheme, but some could argue that it certainly can be a get-poor-quick scheme if you don't manage it quickly. You know, the joke goes, how do you make a million dollars in trading Bitcoin? You start with two, and then you day trade. <laughs> and very quickly, you will lose your shirt. How many in this room, without looking at their portable devices, can tell me uh, what the price of Bitcoin is today? How many of you know what the price of Ether is today? How about the Dow? <laughs> it's a big mistake to treat these technologies as stocks. Yet it is a, is a common misunderstanding. Because they look like stocks, right? They've got a price, they trade, they have volatility. We can look at volume and graphs and things like that. But of course, these are not equities. Bitcoin isn't a company. Bitcoin is an industry. And it's a currency, and it's a technology platform. And this very strange thing has happened in this space, where it has a tradable instrument, and we haven't seen that before. You know, when the internet started, you couldn't buy internet and trade it. 
Oh look, Yahoo launched something. I bet my intranet stock is going to go up. You couldn't do that, right? It's probably a good thing you couldn't. Because <laughs> boy, that would have been volatile. Now, Bitcoin isn't a stock, and it's not an index stock for the industry, even though it sometimes behaves like that. And none of the cryptocurrencies are that. At a very fundamental level, these are technology platforms. But the instrument that's traded behaves a bit like an equity, a bit like a bond, a bit like an index stock, and very much so as a currency. But not the traditional type of currency that we know, not a currency with a very large economy behind it, but a currency with a very small, very dis distributed economy behind it, one that is buffeted by daily events, media announcements, for example, the announcement that Bitcoin died again. Someone's writing that article already. And all of these things make the price move a lot. So when you get involved in this space, a lot of people think, okay, maybe I should invest in Bitcoin. Maybe I should invest in Ether. Maybe I should create a portfolio. And I've spent the last four years dissuading people from that mentality. Do not treat this as an investment. And the primary reason you should not treat this as an investment, unless you happen to be an investment professional, is that these things are extremely volatile. So you have to be very careful. You have to pick your timing right. Buy low, sell high. Which is of course the exact opposite of what naive people like me do. Right? It's going up, time to buy. It's crashing, time to sell. You get the timing wrong, you lose a lot of money. What about picking which thing you would invest in? Would you invest in the Dow? Would you invest in Ether? Should you really be investing in Bitcoin? What about these new things that are popping up every now and then with the initial coin offering? Should be investing in those? So picking the right time and picking the right location for your investment, the right thing to invest in, will determine whether you have success or not. So I say don't do that because I have a much better recipe for success. And that is to invest in something that does not require timing, to invest in something that does not require choosing, to invest in something that cannot be lost, cannot be seized, cannot be forfeited. And that is skills and knowledge. You don't need timing to invest in learning about this technology. Learn now. And that skill will pay possibly for years to come. If you learned how to do web development in 1997, you had a 15-year career ahead of you for a highly sought-after skill. If you learned how to do iPhone apps in 2003, you had again, uh, sorry, in 2008, you had again a massive career ahead of you uh, for a highly sought-after skill. With learning in these, these skills, you don't need to choose. Do I learn about Ethereum? Do I learn about Bitcoin? Do I learn about the DAO? You can learn about all of these things because these skills are highly transferable. The things that you learn about Bitcoin will teach you about blockchains in general. You'll learn about consensus algorithms. You'll learn cryptography. You'll learn the basics of economics and game theory, distributed systems, concurrent systems, security. All of these skills apply to all of the investments in this space. 
This is a skill that cannot be taken from you, that you can't lose in an afternoon because of volatility, that will continue to apply at least for a decade, probably more, no matter which direction Bitcoin goes, no matter which direction Ethereum goes, or any of the other currencies. So, after all, I am here to pitch you an investment. I'm here to tell you to invest in skills. And this, my friends, is a get-rich-slow scheme. It takes work, and if you work hard in this space, you will gain a lot. One thing I have found is that this is a space that moves so fast. The learning is a continuous effort. Every single day I learn something new, and I've been at it full-time for more than four years in this space. And every day I learn something new. Every day I learn something that redefines my understanding of this technology, that makes me think about it in a slightly different way, that unveils a new level of insight and depth that I hadn't anticipated. On the surface, it's a currency. It's a payment system. And if you just see the surface, you're missing everything. Because underneath there is this enormous, rich depth of complexity. If you see my book, you'll notice on the cover there is a woodcut of ants, leafcutter ants. O'Reilly uses an animal on the cover of every one of their books, but I chose that one very carefully. Ant colonies are remarkable systems in which the individual is irrelevant, in which this very simplistic organism with just a few tens of thousands of neurons that can be simulated on a computer quite easily. These individuals follow some very specific, very simple rules, triggered by an environment of chemical sense. Within the individual, there is no complexity. But you put a million of them together, and what they build is this superorganism, this emergent complexity that is the only species on the planet that rivals the social complexity and construction of human society. Leafcutter ants don't eat leaves. They use an enzyme to break them down and brew them in giant breweries. They use the pulp that's produced to feed aphids that they farm like cattle. They milk the aphids to get nectar that they feed to their larvae. They are an agricultural society with enormous complexity, and none of that exists in the brain of a single ant. Distributed systems like Bitcoin are systems where tens of thousands of nodes, each following a very well-defined, simple set of consensus rules, come together, interacting with a vast, complex society of human incentives and actions to produce this enormously complex, secure trust platform, which exhibits all of these characteristics of real applied game theory on a massive scale never seen before. The emergence of robust trust backed by thermodynamic guarantees in the case of proof-of-work, to create the most secure system we have ever built on this planet. We take the concept of proof-of-work that has existed for millennia. Proof-of-work is evident when you look at our societies. The pyramids at Giza are proof-of-work. What they say is 
Behold a civilization that can marshal tens of billions of dollars worth of value, hundreds of thousands of slaves, over tens of years, to produce a monument that cannot be replicated unless you put an equal amount of work. The great cathedral of Notre Dame, the great castles of medieval Europe, all of these things, the Great Wall of China, are proof-of-work artifacts. They are monuments of civilizations that say, here is something that you can only build through the massive expenditure of resource, and that stands as evidence of our might. Bitcoin is the first planetary-scale monument of proof-of-work. In its footsteps, others will follow. It creates this edifice, this monument. And it's a monument to security. It's a monument to trust on the network scale. Once you start understanding the complexities of the interaction of game theory, human motivation, incentives, and markets, you realize how deep this system is. We've never seen free markets operate in the way they do in things like Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrencies. Truly unfettered free markets that provide complete liquidity and flexibility on a global scale have never happened before. Payment systems that span the globe without borders or intermediaries have never happened before. We are standing on the front row of history while creating something that will change human society. And if you learn the skills that allow you to understand these simple systems that produce this enormous complexity, these skills will serve you well. Now, you may be thinking, but I need to be a developer to learn these things. And that's not true. Sure, if you're a computer scientist, this is probably one of the most amazing things that's happened in computer science since HTTP. If you're a developer, you can learn a lot about this space. If you're interested in distributed systems, this is a revolutionary implementation of distributed systems. But what if you're an accountant, a lawyer, an economist? When you first look at Bitcoin, the initial inclination, the initial feeling is, let me take the tradition I have in my profession and see how that will affect Bitcoin. What will be the impact of traditional economics on Bitcoin? What will be the impact of central banks creating their own currency, or of banks regulating Bitcoin? What will be the impact of law on Bitcoin? What will be the impact of the accounting rules on Bitcoin? And if that's what you see, you're missing the much more important bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that Bitcoin will introduce a seed of disruptive innovation in every single one of these industries. The question is not what will the law do to Bitcoin, but what will Bitcoin do to the law? What will Bitcoin do to banking? What will blockchain technology do to economics and central banking? What will Ether do to contracts? What will these new technologies do in a field that has certain methods, processes, and traditions that go back hundreds of years? Because disrupting computer science is eh, not a big deal. I mean, we barely have any tradition, right? This is a space that only has 60 years of history. What happens when you disrupt law that has 4,000 years of history? And we are disrupting those spaces. Let me give you just one example. Or actually, I'll give you several. Blockchains create new economic tools that we've never seen before. 
I've coined the terms computational microeconomics and computational macroeconomics to describe just two of these new fields. The study of macroeconomics involves today the ex post facto analysis, six months after the fact, by statistical approximation of the velocity and activities of an economy, an entire economy. With blockchains, we can do real-time, data-based macroeconomics, and this has never happened before. We have never had the opportunity to look at an economy and study the velocity and inflation rates in real time. And we could do that with blockchains. In the study of microeconomics, studying the activities of a company or an industry or market, the best we can do, again, is ex post facto analysis six months after the fact to a statistical approximation, but no more. With blockchains, we can look at the impact on specific markets and companies in real time. We are going to have to start thinking about real-time accounting and providing information to consumers of this data who can look at companies and industries in real time and evaluate their activity. We are reinventing accountability and transparency, turning it on its head, providing simultaneously very strong privacy to individuals, and a very strong impetus towards transparency and accountability for social organizations and governments. The opposite of what we have sometimes today, which is how it should be. If you look at all of the things that exist in all of these industries that have hundreds of years of tradition. It is important to realize that the traditions, the methods, the tools that we use in law, in economics, even in computer science, in accounting, it is not about the tools. And this is a point we often miss. One of the characteristics of any profession is to establish traditions that propagate the tools and the means, and create out of those structures of permanence through academia, through professional certification, through regulation. And sometimes the more enmeshed you are in that profession, the easier it is to forget why. Why do we have these processes? Why do we have the tools? What were the goals? Because we've become so attached to the means that we forgot what we're doing them from. I can't tell you how many times people tell me that in blockchains we need identity. As if identity was the goal. Identity is a means to an end. Identity is the means of establishing, as a second order effect, the reputation. And reputation is a means to establishing, as a third-order effect, the risk of default. You don't care who someone is. You care whether they will pay you next month. And yet we become so attached to the means, we forgot about the goal. The goal is default risk. But we've associated that so completely with identity that we can't even imagine a way of protecting against default risk in any other way than full identity with all of the problems that comes with. And yet, with a multi-sig contract, I can protect against default risk with a party that is completely anonymous. I don't need identity to achieve my goal. 
in looking at these technologies, we have to identify, really, what are the goals we're trying to achieve? And do these technologies give us a way of achieving those goals with fewer side effects, with greater efficiency, and with lower costs? And if the answer is yes, feel free to drop the 500-year-old tradition if it doesn't serve you. Feel free to sacrifice the sacred cows of accounting, law, justice, law enforcement, economics, and computer science if they do not serve you. Because now we have a new tool, a new set of tools. And if we carefully study these tools, we can learn how to apply them in ways that completely change the way we structure society and allow us to more directly achieve the real goals that we have in all of these other fields. It's very difficult to step outside of tradition and training and professional development and a sense of camaraderie. And when you do step outside of those things in your profession, you will be ridiculed. You will be ostracized. You will be called a fool. Have faith. Most of the really great people in this world who did great things and changed the world were called fools by all of their peers. Fools like Edison and Ford and Tesla, Marconi, Maxwell, Einstein. None of them were greeted with open arms and accolades by their professional peers. They were ostracized, ridiculed, and called fools because their very ideas offended hundred-year-old traditions, sometimes thousand-year-old traditions. Be the fool that's right. And the best way to do that is to invest in learning the really, really subtle nuances, the really deep knowledge and insights of this amazing set of technologies that is absolutely going to change our world. Thank you. The narration for this episode was done by Stephanie Murphy. Production and show notes were organized by JR, with administrative support from Erica and production assistance from Jessica. The original video editing was done by Adrian Tano. Sound engineering by Dimitri Sangelidis from Sampi Media. The unscripted logo was designed by Davi Barker, and the music used in both the video and audio versions of these talks is called Unbounded by Orfan. You can find him at facebook.com slash O-R-F-A-N. There is no space to say we don't belong.